But football without fans is not. You play a football match without fans is it not. It can be the greatest game in the world. If there are no people there to watch it, it becomes nothing. Hello, good evening and welcome to another episode of the Jungle Jams Tuesday Tech Talk. Uh, we've got a HD Paddy in the house, new and improved, serial <laughs> as well. We've got Atletico McGinty. And <laughs> what? How you doing? Good, mate. All the better for seeing your ugly mugs. I've missed you. Thank you very much. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, I um, to the viewers, thanks very much for tuning in. Hope you're all doing well. Hope you're all enjoying your Tuesday evening. I know that the Champions League kicks off later on. However, I hope you do prioritise us. Uh, hopefully we are your entertainment for this evening. It is a big week, guys. Um, talking of town is the Glasgow Derby Cup final week. Um, it's almost time to put on your war paint. Uh, the nerves are probably kicking in. Get the comments coming in. Um, bye. So on the menu for today, of course, we're going to talk about the Celtic and Sefco game. Uh, this Sunday, three o'clock. How's the nerves, guys? How's the nerves? Uh, James, you're going to it, aren't you? Um, mate, I, I get through. I'm like a roller coaster this week, man. One day I think we'll take 10 after the next day. I feel the worst, but I must say I'm confident getting into this, but I don't like being too confident getting into them. But I, I think I think we'll do it. I think we will do it. But you think it'll have to be an industrious performance to get the, <laughs> the victory? Uh, if we play the way we have been playing, then and they play the way they've been playing as well. I know they've been winning, but it's been very odd goal and their defence has looked a bit leaky. So, aye, fingers crossed, but I'm no tempting fate. I'm no giving you a score. I'm no tempting fate. <laughs> Good man. Just because you've got industry on your T-shirt, I'm starting the bar low with the jokes tonight. We can only get better from here. Um, Paddy, what's happening? How's the nerves? How's the nerves? I'm quite torn, as usual, mate, before one of these games. Obviously, being a cup final, it's, it's got a different kind of level to it. Um, quietly confident, same as James, not overly confident. I think when you go into it like that, you end up egging your face at times. So as long as the squad's kind of going to have that same kind of approach to the game, I'll be, be more than happy. But uh, I'm actually looking forward to it now, really looking forward to it. I think... Um, I think we're getting into it strong. I know the old adage is that forum goes out the window. Uh, whenever we play them or whenever we come into a cup final. But you, at the same time, you can't really take away how good the form's been recently. Um, I'm just looking to I'm looking to see if I can win the penalty bingo Sunday. Because uh, I've got uh, 69 minutes for to have a new penalty. There we go, there we go. And Hugh Jameson is probably betting on it as well. <laughs> we will find out. Uh, McGinty, how's uh, how's the nerves in Shetland? Is it the talk of the town as well up there? 
Uh, no, more more likely the talk of the town is my my work being on strike and nobody getting off this island. Um, I'm no nervous. Same as the the New Year's game. I'm more worried about what VAR and the refs are up to more than anything else. I think we are 100% the informed team. We are scoring four or five goals per game. We're winning by three, four goals easily per game. They are struggling every single game. They go behind often. They need a penalty to bring them in front sometimes. They need the luck of the draw. They need the luck of the, the referees and the luck of the VAR. I am all confidence in our performance. I'm just not confident what their officials end up doing. Uh, so, guys, obviously, we're going to talk about the uh, the, the review, uh, the, the preview for the game. I'm uh, going to be talking about the Green Brigade proposal for um, the lower half, the, the lower tier of the Jockstein stand to be um, all standing, an interesting proposal. So, we'll get our teeth into that. Talk about Ball Bag of the Week. I hope we've all got our nominations for that. We'll get the On This Day feature. And if I'm feeling up for it, I might do another wee feature as well. Um, and, guys, you're more than welcome to bring other things to the table that we've not yet considered. But let's get into the main topic, uh, Celtic and Sevco this Sunday. Um, wh- why don't we start off with Andrew's track record so far in the derby since he took over? So, we go back to, to, to last season, the first one, uh, it was a, a narrow defeat at Ibrox. Everybody gives him a pass for that, and justifiably so. It was... A, a new squad and just didn't have much time to, to get to know the players and some of the players were already leaving in fact probably half of them were leaving and we were still to bring in so many new faces so that was a narrow defeat and then we won 3-0 at Parkhead uh, a, a massive victory where Hatati kind of stole the show that was the game under the lights beautiful, beautiful evening um, we we beat them at Ibrox uh, 2-1 that was when we were kind of under the cosh but we, we defended brilliantly um a different type of performance you wouldn't associate that with Postacoglu, but defended with our lives uh, and very well, got the victory, and that was one of the deciding games and the the trajectory of the league. And of course, at Parkhead, the final league game, I believe it was one each. Unfortunately, Sakala got an equaliser near the end, where we had dominated for the majority of the game. Mm-hmm. However, probably one of the other abiding um, derbies of last season was the one at Hamden where Cameron Carter-Vickers missed a chance right at the death, went to extra time, and those cunts took the victory. Um, this season, uh, without blabbering on too much, obviously we got a resounding 4-0 victory at Parkhead. <clears throat> and then it was the two-each game um, just after New Year, where right at the death, Kyoko broke his duck against the cunts, and uh, we came away with um, a share of the spoils, although they admittedly were the better team. Paddy, going to start with yourself. What do you make of Andrew's track record uh, so far in the derbies? Does it have any bearing on this Sunday's game? Um, I think it's good that he's had a couple of games, you know, where we've absolutely spanked him. Because um, he got to kind of assert his authority with his squad and his performance and the results. It's, it's obviously good that the majority of them have been in our favour. Obviously, I think the the one that you mentioned, the, Scot- the Scottish Cup game, that was the the big one that he lost. But ugh, I think we can kind of for, forgive and forget that one. <coughs> Excuse me. 
But no, he's he's done he's done fairly well, I would say. Has it got a bearing on this week? Uh, possibly because he knows how to beat them. It's pretty much the same players. I know it's fucking Michael the Mole Man Bill that's in charge of who he's doing the usual posturing, he's talking a lot of shit. Um yeah, we'll see. We'll see if he's still fucking talking the talk after the game. Thank you for noticing forever and ever self. I fucking you. tell you that before we went live. All you cunts have haircuts apart from me. Uh, Conspiracy. Um, aye. James, uh, obviously we're playing them again at Hamden. Uh, will, people, will people be comparing and contrasting this one to the last time we faced them at Hamden? I don't think so. I think last year and everything that obviously came, we won in the league and the situation that we found ourselves in at the start of the season, the league was, I know it always as that goes without saying, but the league is your bread and butter. I think that was more so last year. Uh, I mean, if we got offered to win the league, losing a semi-final to them, of course you'd have taken your horn after it. So as Paddy says, I'll more than willing to forgive and forget that one. Uh, the league was the absolute breeding butter last year, so I don't think it would be fair to compare. Uh, obviously, they've got a new manager as well, who's apparently got a new style of play, so nah, I don't think it'd be fair to compare that to, to last year's semi. Uh, so let's talk about whether this game could be won or lost. Uh, the key battles, what threats do they carry? How can we nullify that? And our players. A lot of them are on red hot form, namely Rio Hitate. Uh, McGinty, do you think he could? Uh, this could be one of the games that he really makes his name on that stage. Uh, yeah, I think this is gearing up for an absolute classic from Hitate. He's been absolutely fantastic the last few games. He's building uh, and stature in that midfield, and he's made himself practically undroppable. Um, the only other guy, obviously, being Cal McGregor, anytime he's that, he must start. So your, your midfield partnership's already made for you, and I think the two of them uh, have a great partnership, a great dynamic approach to the game. I was watching a, a clip somebody posted on Twitter uh, earlier on today, and I think it was Hatati just ripping the utter pressure out of that Tillman the last couple of games, and he can't get anywhere near him. And if we're going to have a midfield battle, I think Hatati's... He's, he's at a level right now of just pure confidence and he's just going to dominate that midfield. It's not the strongest midfield by any means, but I think we've got the technical ability just to rip the absolute piss out of them. Mm. Right. What I hear for you guys about this, okay, but just my own uh, worry is in the last game, <clears throat> we never turned up. We, we turned up until Joe Hart made a country at one point and it changed the momentum of the game, and we never managed to really take that back. And that annoys me, because all the forum going into those games, we can be in red-hot forum. You're raving about X, Y, and Z, all the players, saying, oh, he can go for that amount of money. But then when we go into these games, one little thing like that can change the, the, the complexion of the game. That's what I really dislike. And I hate after games like that, whenever you have a, a tinge of disappointment, whenever you say, oh, well, we never turned up. I hate having to say that because it looks like I, I'm taking away something for the opposition. Although I never ever want to give them any credit, I think we are the better football team. They're physically stronger than us. Although in saying that, Woody did bring up a, a good thing. 
that they really miss Bassi's and Aribo's physicality. So it's interesting to see how the game is going to be won and lost. Um, another thing that I think could play a major bearing in the game is the pitch. So both semi-finals, the pitch was the pitch was scunnered. Um, you wouldn't play a rugby game on it, it was that bad. Uh, so I don't have much hopes. I don't know what the condition is right now, but I don't have much hopes for the, the pitch being that much better this coming Sunday. <laughs> when it gets all chopped up and stuff like that, then some players can have shite games and other players who you might not expect to be coming to the fore can actually really, really uh, stand out. One player who I think would be really good in a shite pitch is Aaron Moy. You remember the game against Hearts? The the, the VAR controversy, when it was the first game of uh, of us having VAR in the, a domestic competition. I thought Moy was brilliant in that game and the, the, the pitch was horrible. It was rainy and stuff like that. And he was, his, his control was just so good that he was overcompensating with that. Um, and he was getting the better of other people. Um, Paddy, where are the key battles in this game? Where will it be won and lost? Midfield. Midfield's where they try and dominate us the most. Um, obviously, listen, they, let's, let's not beat about the bush, right? They have got threats on the park. Um, I think your biggest threat that they've got is uh, whoever it is that's in the VAR room, because I think you can honestly put your mortgage on it, but they're going to get a penalty, <laughs> and it'll be your man fucking Tavernier, uh, they'll be stepping up to take it. Uh, I think Hall if we... What? Hall of Famer. <laughs> Hi. Uh, <laughs> fucking ball bag. <laughs> Sorry, mate, that was the first thing that popped into mind. Um, no, I think, if we, I think if we can come out the traps early, because they seem to tend to start off slower, if we can come out the traps, hit them with intensity and pressure right away, and we can be clinical, I think that's going to be the key to us winning the game, because I think we certainly will be the better team on the day. They will have their wee spells where they'll be coming up the park, they'll be trying to, trying to get into our, our, our defence, trying to obviously get a goal. But if we can be key, if we can get Kyogo in for them, get the early goals in, if we can get the first goal in, I think that's going to be a, a big blow to them. Um, an interesting one I seen the day was uh, I think it was Dasbo that put up the chat. Um, Loudrup, Brian Loudrup was one of the guys that was saying, you know, the key for them to beat us is to target Starfield at all times. Um, and I think that that probably is something that they will do because Carter Vickers is a is an absolute stalwart at the back. He's a colossus. You know, there's loads of superlatives you can fling at him. But Starfield's always prone to a, a brain fart. So he's gonna to need to be he's gonna to need to play the game of his life thus far. Um but aye. If we if we can nullify their fullbacks getting forward, if whoever it is that's chasing Ryan Kent, if they can take him out of the game physically as well as tactically, that'll be a bonus. Um Hatati, Hatati, if he's playing, needs to needs to come in and command that area. I don't think I've got any any worries about what the likes of McGregor, Moy, I think will be the guy that, that plays beside there too. Um, then you're just looking at the wingers for us, who I'm hoping it's going to be Maeda and Jota, because Maeda should be able to exploit a lot of space with the big handed pitch. And Jota looks as if he's coming back into a lot of confidence. We've seen the last couple of games, you know, he's got that swagger back, he's, he's taking on men, he's trying to entertain and he's actually trying to make things happen. So if we can get these guys on for him, that'll be... It'll be absolutely fantastic, but 
probably one of the biggest things, mate, will be our mentality and how we actually approach the game. James, you said earlier on, you can't just walk onto the park and expect a win. You can't just think you can turn up because we've seen that. We've seen that blow up my faces so many times over the years, but we'll see what happens. James, the midfield, how do we line up? Obviously, McGregor and Hatati, I think everybody would agree with that. Now, Moy didn't play in the last game. Assuming he's back fit, does Moy go in ahead of O'Reilly? And what about the bigger pitch? Does O'Reilly have better legs than Moy in terms of running about? So are we losing something with the, the wide open pitch with Moy playing there? Or is his, his experience and his close control just too good to ignore? See, this is the one I've been... I keep changing my mind on it. I think I would start Aaron Moy. But the flip side of it, for me, as I've said on here before, uh, I, I think Aaron Moy's kind of best games have came when he's played that kind of deep-line playmaker role when he can just pick his passes. As you say, Hamden is a big part. Well, I, is that a myth, by the way? Or is Hamden the same size? Because it always feels bigger and everybody always says it's bigger. But anyway, it feels like a bigger pack, so you're assuming there's more space uh, for him to, to pass the balls into getting the ball out wide and things like that. But then at the same time, I think I don't think they'll sit back. I think they will come. It is to have a go. So uh, that could nullify Moy, as I, I think personally that it has done in, in previous games where Moy's played, obviously not against them. Uh, so I don't know. I keep changing my mind, but if, you, if, if you're asking me the new... I'm saying the midfield is Moy, Hitati and McGregor. But if you ask me in a new time, I might have changed my mind again. I, I keep flipping. I think my team's settled apart for that. Uh, but I, I, I think up front, I'd be going uh, Maida, Kyogo and Abada. I'd probably, I think the decision to be made is between Jota and Abada as opposed to Abada and Maida this time. Uh, so for me, the, the one decision that I keep tossing and turning on is Moyer O'Reilly. Um, that's a good question. Uh, Abada has got the pace. He has embarrassed Barisic in the past. Um, however, has Bar Barisic got over that mental hoodoo? Um, Jota, Jota's got all the skill in the world, but how good is his tracking back sometimes on that big hand and pitch? Uh, McGinty, um, for, for those kind of key selection points, uh, who, who would you edge towards? I was reading this from Plunge earlier on, and I, I've got to say, I think that's 100% going to be the team. And um, I couldn't really argue too much about it. I'm still not sold on Aaron Moy being as great as we kind of need him to be, but he has been playing in some good form in the last few months as well. So I think I think Ange starts him in that midfield three. Uh, and I think he also takes... Maida and um, Abada. I think Jota probably starts to get dropped. I, I I see what Paddy's saying about he's kind of started to show a wee bit more, but overall Jota's just not really been at the top of his game. So I personally was starting. I think he might for a little change just to just to switch it up against them because they'll be expecting Jota. I think, and like he says, they're gonna target Starfelt. They're going to expect Jotter. They're going to think that Jotter's not on top of his game. But I think we'll start with Abada and Maeda and just run at them. Get those, get the, the, the use of the width of the pitch, run down the flanks, cut it in and kind of try and support Kyogo in that way that we've seen so many goals in the last season and a half where it's that kind of 
cut across the face of the goal into the six yard box and see Kyle will get on get on the end of it. What did the viewers think? Um, let us know, is Jota going to start? Uh, I, I, somebody had said, could Ange throw a curveball in and play up front uh, with Kyogo in the number 10 role? Uh, I don't think O will play, but can he throw in a curveball? It's, it's a fair fair point, a fair opinion. Uh, would O start, does offer that physical presence? How would he, how would he uh, respond to the, the kind of pressure cooking atmosphere of a Glasgow derby and a cup final? It's a big one to get thrown into, but can we see any curveballs being thrown into the mix? But again, from the viewers, let us know, is Jota going to start or not? Would you prefer Abada or him? Paddy, where do you stand in that matter? No, Abada, on the bench for me, I think. He's, he's not what I think about Abada. I think he's, as a winger, I think he's one of the worst players at the club. Um, what he does do well is he finds a space when he's allowed to go kind of more central. I know he's done it against them before. Hopefully he does it again, but I think if you're talking at the start of the living, then you need to play the two guys that's in for him. And right now, Jota's in for him, and Maggie does in for him. That's the two that you've got to go with. Obviously, the, the talking point will be, is Kyle go fit? I believe he is. So he'll start, no doubt. Um, it's too early for him. Could they make an impact coming off the bench? Probably, maybe. But starting, nah, definitely not. So I think your biggest question will be... Probably Moy. I think that'll be the biggest kind of mystery. Is he going to go with O'Reilly or is he going to go with Moy? Me personally, hope he goes with Moy because he has been playing very, very well this season. Plus, he adds that bit of experience that O'Reilly hasn't got. And that could be telling. He gets the ball, he defends it well, he shields it well, he gets involved, he can get his up, he can get the yards up the pitch, he can get his up there, and he's he's clever, very, very clever. And that, that comes with the experience as well. So Need everybody on top of their game, so play your guys that are playing on top of their game right now. Certainly high definition opinions from Paddy tonight. Um, what about nullifying, <laughs> nullifying the threat of Ryan Kent? <laughs> Regardless whether you think that Ryan Kent is effective or not, me, from my opinion, I don't like it when it starts running at our fullbacks. You know, you know that he's going to cut inside and it depends on how, how disciplined we are defensively about tracking back and covering for the fullback. In the last game at Ibrox, uh, Johnson get thrown in. That was his debut. And Kent scored uh, when he kind of he stood him up. He cut inside and he curled it round at Hart's back post. What's to stop that happening again? How do we, what have we learned from that? Um, I know that th th there's been plenty of games where Celtic have, have played in the past where you're playing against a certain type of opposition and you just have to go man for man. McGinty, is that the case where we just each individual has to take responsibility for who they're coming up against? Or is there, is there something that we can do to cut out Kent being a dick? No, because Kent's, Kent's a dick, so he's got to be a dick regardless. Um, <clears throat> we do need our, our backline to be on absolute top form. We said the other day that we reckon Alistair Johnson has the mentality for this kind of game. He he knows straight away when he entered the club, he knows what this club's all about. He gets the pressure of playing for such a club, and I think he'll thrive in this uh, the Starby game. I, I believe he'll be good. Um, the Warriors obviously staff out. They've got to target staff out. And it's whether or not he's switched on. 
I don't have too many doubts about him. I think we gave him a hard time in the first couple of months last season when he first came in, but he's generally been pretty fucking solid. We've missed him when he's not been in the team more than more than not sort of thing. So I think that's, that's more of a testament that we actually do function quite well when he's in. We just need them all to be on top of the game. As you said, Gavin, the discipline, it's not so much our discipline. It's about the kind of leaving the opportunity there for Kent to be a dick and take the dive. And the referee is going to be standing there waiting for that. And he's going to flag it as soon as he can. He's going to point to that spot as soon as he can. It's about being smarter than him more than anything else. Because that midfield is going to take care of itself. We're not going to go toe-to-toe kind of strength to strength with them. We're just going to outplay them. Uh, we're going to get the ball forward and we're going to we're going to attack with pace and directness. And I think we'll find we'll score two or three goals, I think, on Sunday. It's yeah, it's, it's whether or not the backline can just keep their mind, keep the focus and keep their their what's about them. Right, okay, so you think we'll score a couple of goals. Uh, let's get the predictions in early then. Um McGinty starting with yourself. Uh let's go three one. One to the hoops, um, James. I'm reluctant to give a prediction to be honest. I'll say I'll go 2 1. It's no good for the heart. Um, uh, oh. Patrick, <laughs> just as you are mentioning heart there, uh, Andy boy uh, says we need to make sure we don't pass the ball back to Joe Hart, or the fence will be fine. Um, I am going to say 2 1 as well. Celtic. And of course, the obligatory penalty for the number two. Mm. And are any of you thinking it might go to extra time? Uh, only, uh, who was it? It uh, was Frank, Frank Brennan thinks it's going to go to extra time. Let's see if I can pull your comment up with it. Uh, there we go, yes. Frank Brennan. Extra time and penalties is a frightening reality for Sunday. Totally in keeping with my prediction of it being one long, hard battle. Some of us have our limitations. Can I do that, man? Can I do that? Um, wait, okay, I'm going to predict a Celtic win. Uh, I think you have to. And I'm going to go for... 3-0. 3-0 Celtic. 3-0. Whether, if I'm actually feeling that on Sunday, that, that's an entirely different story. <laughs> but 3-0 Celtic. 3-0. Uh, what are you guys watching it? Uh, James, obviously you're going to. Uh, McGinty, you're watching it in a, in a local boozer or what? Uh, not actually 100% sure. I've not made any plans, so the chances are I'll just watch it at the house then come on here and do the podcast afterwards. Good stuff. Good stuff. Um Paddy, I'm sure that you'll be locked up, um, safe and sound. Uh, you'll be watching it without causing harm to others. <laughs> For a change, yes. No, I'm going to have a quiet one on Sunday. But, uh, sorry, watching the telly, celebrate it in the, the man cave. Watch Michael Bailey's wee white flag like that. <laughs> the, the, the press conference, what the fuck was that all about? Uh, oh. A joint... What... That was awkward, just, that was just, that's one of the strangest things I've ever seen, by the way. Is this is this some kind of American type thing? I don't know who is Viaplay. Like, can a country do they come from? Is that American? Viaplay. <coughs> the traditionally a Scandinavian uh, TV 
online service thing. Right. Uh, I think they reached out into Mecca maybe already, um, but they basically they bought over Premier, not Premier Sports. I ah, Premier Sports. Uh, they bought over Premier Sports, but they are um, Scandinavian. I want to say Danish. Have you have you have you seen the press conference, Gav? I've not seen it myself, but I saw a, I saw a, a picture of it, and I actually thought somebody had kind of photoshopped Ange and the mole uh, sitting together. And then obviously it turned out it was, it was real. I just saw like clips of it on the, the news earlier on this evening. Um, it just looked a wee bit bizarre. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, as it is, I guess I'll try to generate publicity as if you need that. Um, but I fuck it. Um, what do you make uh, um, the, the the running spat between um, Michael Beale and Chris Sutton? I think that's a, a nice wee bit of comedy. You took the words right out of my mouth, mate. I was just about to say. The uh, big Sutton was on Twitter. I think it was, was it last. It was either last night or the night before, and he was announcing that he's going to be doing the the kind of reporting for, for for Viaplay, and that he's going to be interviewing both managers before and after the game. So, that, <laughs> so I'm actually I'm actually really really looking forward to seeing the the awkward encounter between him and the the classless piece of shit that is Michael Beale to see if he's kind of going to say the. The kind of comments these fans. Well, that's the the fantastic thing about Chris Sutton. Um, he would have known that he was getting this interview and this kind of pro, mm-hmm. post and pre match shit. He would have known this for a couple of weeks. So everything the last two three days has been him just feeding into this whole uh, this whole villain play act that Sutton likes to do. They kind of put in the what's if kind of questions out there, the hypotheses and the hypothetical questions. And he's lured, he's fished, he's went fishing with Beal and he's caught him massive big time. He's lured him straight into it and Beal's went ball deep into this one, calling out certain day and all this, uh, or he who shall not be named and all this nonsense. It's absolutely hilarious to know that Sutton's done it to build up this coming game and his own, his own marketing and his own PR to basically big up the uh, the tension for this, knowing very well he's roped, he's roped Beal into it. He's not even had to do anything with Ange. He just knows he's got respect for Ange. Ange's got respect for him. He knows he's going to get a good interview, but he's real Beal right into it. And he's played him an absolute blinder. Yeah, the best one I seen was a wee tweet he sent. I actually think it was it was back last week when it just kind of kicked off, and somebody had tweeted Chris Sutton saying. You know exactly what you're doing with Michael Beale, blah blah blah. And Sutton just replied, Aye, he's making a mountain out of a molehill. <laughs> a nice wee subtle dick. <laughs> I like it, I like it. Um right, okay. Um on this day feature, why don't we talk about that before moving on to other topics? Uh on this day, 21st of February 1953, Charlie Tully. Scores direct from a corner in the Scottish Cup tie at Falkirk. After he did that, the referee ordered him to take it again because he thought mm, he must be cheating. How times have changed. However, Charlie Tully retook it and he scored it again, and Celtic ended up winning 3 2. Paddy, one of perhaps not the first Maverick to grace the hoops, but certainly a memorable ma- Maverick to grace the hoops. Uh, Charlie Tully has his name has stood the test of time, and uh, obviously because we're talking about it right now, many stories of Charlie Tully. We bought him from Belfast 
uh, Celtic, I believe. Uh, what's your mem- What have you read about and what have you... I was going to ask what's your memories of him. What have you read about Charlie Tully and why he's such a, an important figurehead in Celtic's history? I think my, I think my first ever memory of Charlie Tully was the pub in Motherwell called Tully's. Um, getting took up there as a wee fella going to the games that. But no, listen... When you when you speak to the the older the older generation and watch the games and they all talk about Charlie Tully, you know you get guys this day like Jimmy Johnson back in the day, sorry, um, guys like Lugo, guys that could do stuff with a ball that was kind of a magician. Charlie Tully was that to these the, the, the older generation back in the day, um, and I think it's even more kind of impressive that they were doing that like with a, a big. Heavy football made of leather. They were doing it with essentially it was a pair of steel toe cap boots with a couple of studs in it. You know what I mean? These guys were absolute stalwarts, legends, brilliant, you know, to be doing stuff like that. Even like, um, you know, Jimmy Quinn, like that, Jimmy McGrory to be scoring fucking 50 yard screamers. It's the football, do you know what I mean? It's an old leather ball. You think of the force of the, the, the force of the control that they're going to have to be using. To, to, to actually do that with a ball, do you know what I mean? So, as I say, everything that I've been told about the guy, it's just, it's it's, it's impressive. And it's it's impressive as well that the fact that you still talk about him, you talk about the two corners, you know, it's kind of folklore, something you would never see on a camera, you would never see a clip of it, so it all comes down to kind of stories passed on, maybe the old cartoon, a la kind of the Patsy Gallagher one when he does the kind of the backflip with the ball and scores. That's the only way... Yeah. That you can visually kind of visualize these things other than the word of mouth for the older generation, but no, it's, it's great that you hear these kind of stories, and it's great that they live on as well. I, I could be wrong, but I think there was another incident where he actually sat on the ball during the match because the the, the, the opponents didn't want to tackle him because they knew that he was just taking the piss out of him. Um, it's important to have characters like that in a club's mm-hmm. history, it, it, it just enriches the, the, the history. And, um, certainly, we enjoy like talking about stories like that. Um, McGinty, uh, some some uh, whippersnappers nowadays might throw the accusation out that the older generation couldn't hack it in today's modern football because the game is faster. You have to survive on a better diet. Players are bigger, stronger, smarter. Tactics have evolved. What would you say to that in players' legends of yesteryear and how <coughs> they fit in today? Uh, without being that guy who's going to overanalyze this shit, I think most of them would fare quite well. If you take the fact that they would adapt to the modern diets, they would adapt to the lighter balls, they would adapt to the slicker pitches that we've got. If you go on and say that the older guys back from the 60s, 70s, 80s, can he survive today against the top end t- uh, players in the world, then you have to say the same in the reverse that your modern guys who are used to the lighter balls, the, the lighter weight uniforms, the slicker pitches that are easy to run and pass on and that stuff, they wouldn't survive in the, the harsher circumstances of the 60s and 70s and 80s where it was mud strewn on your shirt and the ball was you know a level weight. They wouldn't survive. Messi would struggle as much in the 70s as, you know, 60s and 70s as much as Jimmy Johnson would struggle today. 
I, I, it's a fair point. The accusation can be thrown both ways, you know. The players nowadays might not survive back then. But perhaps I think they all would. It's just a, a case of adapting. It's your environment. It's what you grow up in. Exactly. You adapt to it. If, you've got, if you've got the talent, then cream will rise to the crop, as we would say. Aye. I mean, if, if, you, if you threw Jimmy Johnson into the modern day as Jimmy Johnson was back then, you know, the lads, lads, the, the lines were away in holiday in America, you know, drinking the beers, having the cigars and stuff like that, and a day later playing a, a football match against Real Madrid or whatever. You know, if you're going to do that, yeah, they're going to struggle. But the chances are, if they're modern footballers in modern times, they're going to be looking after themselves. So, you know, you have to adapt to it each way. 100%, mate. 100%. Um, guys, uh, right, we've got, unless there's anything you guys want to talk about, let's move on to the proposal from the Green Brigade about the they want to expand the um the, the, the standing section. Uh, and before we do that, as Woodsy says, as Billy Conley said, World Cup 78 players culling the ball. Ach, Charlie Tully was doing that in the 50s. Indeed, indeed, they learned from him. So, the proposal from the Green Brigade about expanding the standing capacity of Parkhead Correct me if I'm wrong, how long has it been going for? Um, but it's been a resounding success. It's brought some atmosphere to the game and we want more of it, or do we want more of it? The proposal is the uh, Jockstein stand, a bottom tier to replace the seats with standing capacity to be something with a, and a likeness of uh, the, 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 the yellow wall in, uh, in Dortmund, which has got worldwide uh, acclaim. Um James, what was your initial impressions whenever you heard that? Mm. Well, uh, we're out the leaflets at the game at the weekend and I got one. I, I had just assumed that it was going to be the lower tier behind the goal, but on the leaflet it said they were looking today the lower tier and the upper tier. I don't know how, but well, I assume it would be possible, I don't know how safe it would be. Uh, I, I've sat up the very back tier, uh, the very back of the tap tier once, and it was against Villarreal a hundred years ago in the Champions League. And when you jumped up, you felt as if you were going fall forward. It was genuinely quite frightening when everybody was jumping about. So I don't know how, obviously I know they'd make changes, but I don't know how feasible that would be. In terms of doing it, it's something that I would like to do. I've never actually been lucky enough. I think it's probably the only part of the ground that I've ever, uh, that I've not actually managed to get a seat in, is in the standing section. Uh, so I can't speak about. No, no many up. people get a seat there. To be fair, aye, aye. No, but I just mean even just kind of swapping tickets and things like that. Like I know people that sit in it, but they've never actually offered a swap. So, but uh, no. In, t- in terms of doing it, it, it's something that I would like to see. I don't think it will happen for one reason or another. I know there's was it twenty twenty five thousand on the waiting list now. But I mean, if we look back to Ronnie Dyla times, uh, sorry, I, I was just going to go into about. Uh, the, I seen Talkie extending the the standard, extending the capacity as well. Uh, but as I say, if we go back to Ronnie Dyla times, and this, this, I mean, it was by and large it was empty, and we had the the banners or the seats up the top. So times do change quickly. I would like to see it, but I just don't think it will happen. Uh, Maybe they'll expand that a wee bit, but I can't see it happening for the full, uh, the full of the Sally Kent. It's a fair comment. There would have been a time where you thought it would be unthinkable that standing would be brought back to football stadiums after what had happened. Um, 
But Paddy, with health and safety, if we could uh, navigate our way through the, the kind of logistics of that, what do you think it could do to the atmosphere at Parkhead? Well, I think the only kind of logistical issue with the health and safety is, is the the upper stand being turned into a, a standing section, which, I, I, listen, there's, there's no chance that will happen. Not a chance in hell. As for the bottom section, very, very feasible. It's been done in the, the north curve corner. Um, so the, there's there's nothing to say that, you know, we couldn't put it in place, that we have a standing section. Obviously, there's going to be issues with potentially maybe people no wanting to move because that's been their seat for years. They're maybe getting older now. They're maybe, you know, enjoying sitting at the game, sitting, having a wee clap every now and again. But for me, if you ask me, I'm, I'm generally just to the left of the Jokestein stand. So I would be hoping that I would be including in that because I'm in the bottom tier. Um, but no, I think I think it would be absolutely tremendous, mate, honestly. Because you think about it, right? If you're... If you're sitting at the game, then you're comfortable, right? If you're standing at the game, know that you're uncomfortable, but you're making yourself busy, and it gives you mere, mere an impotence to sing, because when you see people at Celtic Park getting up to, you know, oh, come on, I'll fucking shout a song, they all stand up to it, and nobody joins in, because you're sometimes people are embarrassed, you know what I mean? You can be seen, and there's like fucking 10,000 people looking at you, That's, there's that fanny storing up again. But see if you're among 10,000 other fannies all storing up, all chanting and singing. It brings a different kind of, uh, a different kind of atmosphere and a different kind of situation. So I'm one million percent for it and I don't see why it can't happen. But again, I could see objections that could be put into it. The other thing, sorry, I was going to mention as well, it's just come back into my head there. At the back of the lower stone, that's where the hospitality is as well. So that's your kind of, Prawn Sandwich Brigade, uh, so and your leather seats and all that. So I don't imagine that the club themselves would be looking to kind of relocate that anytime soon. Obviously, you've got the the restaurants and things like that there as well. So that would you, be... you could you could leave you could leave so many seats. You know, I mean, underneath that because obviously that's that's a windy, right? So, but even if even if you're standing up, I don't know if you've ever sat in the the, the sections and, and and looked to it. You can still see even see when people jump over the it. You can still see it, but I, I get I, I get what you're saying, but I don't think that would impinge on it too much because sh- I, I'm, I'm just surmising here. Surely, when they were building the height of the bottom of the windy, it wouldn't be the view skewed by people kind of standing up. Not me, but they sit outside though. There's padded seats outside. My so if you're in, if if you're oh, in cover, they'll come out the sliding doors right. and down the stairs. Uh, so I don't imagine the suits will want to be. I've seen that. That's no fair. It's just hospitality seats. I mean, MD could go for hospitality seats, but I, you're just kind of assuming generally that they'll they'll want their padded seat and a prawn sandwich, wouldn't they? So. Well, generally, if you're in the hospitality, the country are having a pint as well. So do you know what I mean? Uh, and all this, and you, you you can just you can just envision it, right? So obviously, you've got the North Cove, the Green Brigade, whatever you want to call them, but it's the North Cove. You've got them there, and then you've got another stand directly facing it, which is the Jokestein end. You'll have the boys now up there, or whoever it fucking might be. It, 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 it just it just brings maybe a kind of equilibrium to the stadium, the atmosphere, the support. The songs would come back because, as I say, if you're sitting in Celtic Park, even if you're wanting to sing something, sometimes you feel a bit of a dick. 
you know what I mean? People, I agree, some I agree. people just don't enjoy the fact of having eyes on them. And if you're wanting to get up and sing, at least you're going to be crowded out because you generally, it's harder to spot people when they're all standing up. I know that might sound daft because you're kind of at the same head height, but it really is. It's the same when you go to an away game. Like if you go to an away game, we say like, how many times is everybody actually sitting down? Do you know what I mean? Barcelona, the, the, the time that we beat Barcelona, as far as I'm concerned, everybody was storing up. Because we were all standing up, up into Rangers games at Celtic Park, and everybody stood up. And see the, see the change in it. Uh, obviously, I know people can stand up uh, because of physical stuff and whatnot. But generally, you know, if you're standing, it does bring about a different kind of aura. Right. See, just, just sorry, just to get back, pick up on what you're saying there about the boys. As I say, on the leaflet, it, I'm sure it said that they were looking for the lower tier and the top tier. Am I right in saying that's the reason that the boys get moved from the tap corner up to the kind of restricted view seats in the bottom tier was because it was for safety reasons because they were standing all the time? I'm sure I've seen that. I'm sure I've seen that was the reason they moved. So obviously I know they'll bring in barriers and I assume they'll put the wall at the bottom up <coughs> up a bit higher, but they'd need to put that up a bit higher. Uh, but I, I'd like to see it happen. I just don't think it will. I don't think the board would buy into it. Fair dues, fair dues. Paddy, you do make a good point. Just kind of wrap it up on that. Obviously, you make a good point as well, James, about um, is it feasible because you've got that um, the, the prawn sandwich brigade and uh, how, how do you uproot them, especially whenever they're a moneymaker uh, for the, the Parkhead coffers. But pa- Paddy, I was a season ticket holder back in the 90s and in the noughties, and I don't know if it's just nostalgia talking, but I was in the north, uh, stand at that point and everybody sang and the, the songs were more entertaining as well, none of this fucking scooter fish that you hear nowadays but where I sit now I, I went away uh, from from, uh, from going to the games for, for quite a while and now that I'm back I'm in the, the, the south and where I sit nobody sings and like like you said like if you felt like singing you'd feel like a bit of a prick because nobody else around that does it and probably look at you cross-eyed thinking just sit down pal Stop making an arse of yourself, but it's nobody sings where I sit, and it's not like it's the family section, it's just people are just sitting mm-hmm. doing they, they don't really show much emotion unless we score. Um, and it's changed days. I don't know if that's like part of me getting older as well. I'm a hypocrite because I'm not singing, um, so that I would galvanize the people around me to sing, but it's just different. And as you said, if people were standing, it would be a different mentality. Uh, for a football supporter, and can I bring you back to how it should be as well? So I think both of you make good points. It is, mate, and it's not, it's not even so much that, right? Obviously, this uh, having a standing section doesn't just totally magically change everything and, and, and make people sing, but it'll make them want to sing, I think, because it gives them a wee bit more freedom. Because if you're sitting down or if you're standing up, it's two different total factors. But other than that as well, you know, the guys in the North Cove have been, for want of a better word, the cheerleaders at Celtic Park for too long, right? And that's no, by any stretch of the imagination, uh, a negative thrown towards them, but it's kind of a negative of how the atmosphere's ended up because a lot a lot of people will wait to hear what the, the, the Green Brigade or the North Cove are going to sing before they kind of join in, but it only lasts for a wee second. Do you know what I mean? If you have mere atmosphere, 
it just builds the it builds the noise, it builds the fear factor. If you're coming to like 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 Real Madrid, see if we had another standing section with Real, when Real Madrid came to town, they would have shat themselves to some extent, right? Because it's the wall of noise. That's what they're talking about. The new they want the wall of noise. They want the wall of colour. Look at how look at how the stadium are up straight. Obviously, first and foremost, we say like score a goal, an important goal. The stadium goes nuts. There's very, very little people sitting, other than obviously people who can't and don't have the ability to stand up. Everybody's on their feet and they're shouting and cheering. You don't really get the same feeling if you're sat in your plonkers, do you know what I mean? And like even when the North Curve boys are doing the come on, you boys in green, it goes back around the full stadium, it erupts. I just think an extra section. But help the guys out because they've done absolutely fantastic over the years, being the de facto cheerleaders, and it would just raise the roof. So I am all for it. Again, as James says, the, the logistical issues is going to be a, a could potentially be an issue because some people might not want to move seats, which is their right to do, especially maybe people that's been there since the start. Uh whatever. People pay for their seats, so it's their right to choose. But I would like to think that the majority of them would opt for it as long as they're happy being there and as long as other sections are they just automatically going to move into their seat and they have to move, then that would be an issue. I would kind of, I would be against that as well. Good points. I love your passion, Paddy. I really do. Uh, McGinty, going to try out a new segment of the podcast. That should be shite or it could be all right. Um, it's going to be a quick fire round. I'm going to throw some phrases at you and I want to hear your initial Fuck. thoughts. <clears throat> Just going to fucking go for it, man. Look, it could be shit, it could be good. Um, well, like a word association thing? Like, yes, word association thing or whatever. Just in a few words, what your your your, your thoughts are. So, going to start off, best left-footed Celtic player? Emilio. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Uh, no, was the, the left-footed player? <laughs> <laughs> it, 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 it was a moment of just name a left-footed player. That's it. We want to get random hey, responses. That's start again. Game. Start again, Gav. Give me a chance. Start again. It's quick right, fire. Right, right. We've, done, we've done one. Uh, best formation. Four three three. Okay, Celtic in the nineties. The three amigos. Okay, John Barnes. Oh, fuck. <laughs> Andy Walker on commentary duty. Oh, fuck. Hans Gilper. Uh, I was going to say Dembele, but you have to go with Alan Thompson. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. David Murray. I don't think I can see it. Um, <laughs> right, for every every fiver, there's a tenor. Get yourself to fuck EBT, man. Rebel songs in paradise. Welcome every day. Okay, okay. Biscuit tin. Peter Lowell. Fraser Foster or Arthur Boric? Arthur Boric. Smell the glove. Uh, and I should go for Tom Boyd there, but yeah, the um, stop in the nine row. Sorry, stop in ten row. Greatest Celtic captain. Oh, Scott Brown, top of my head, but probably Billy McNeil. Chill to a tiro. Uh, Andy Tom. Charlie Nicholas. Andy Walker. 
Dreadlocks or skinhead? Dreadlocks. Okay, okay. And the Green Brigade. Love them, love to hate them, hate to love them, sort of thing. They, yeah, they, they, they bring a lot of positives more so than the negatives. So, gotta love them. Fair dues. That was good. Um, uh, I, I, oh, I'm just saying that was good. That's my initial reaction. Thank you for your honest response. I did love the best left-footed player in me. <laughs> Can I change that for Nakamura? <laughs> oh, Lubo. Fair dues. Fair dues. Right. Uh, on to the ball bag. Was it just named the hum? <laughs> of the week. Um, is it too late to still say Sam Smith ball bag of the week? No, Barton. Okay, that's my nomination. James, anyone come to mind? Comfortably, David Martindale, ball bag of the year so far. <laughs> yes, yes. And if anybody doesn't know why, then please check out his, uh, his latest press conference. Uh, the guy is an absolute grade A wanker. Yes. Patrick? Uh, Michael Beale. Michael Beale, hard to disagree with that. And McGinty? Uh, the Daily Record, or more specifically, oh. probably Keith Jackson. This week is just absolute mental, the levels they're going to, to 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 build the disruption of Celtic and big up them right before uh, a derby game. Is he just talking about Keith Jackson? Is any of you seen the... they done an interview. It was him and... I can't remember who the other guy was, but they done an interview with Scott Brown. You seen that? No. Nah, it was just the last week. It's decent. Uh, when he talks about kind of Ronnie Dyle. Oh, no, absolutely. He's still an absolute scrotum. But he's uh, done a, a decent interview with Scott Brown. And they talk about kind of Ronnie Dyla's tenure. And obviously, Scott Brown being captain at that time, you can tell that he just was 100% not on board with it. Uh, it's, a, it's a good watch if anybody's seen it. If, if no, oh, mate. Listen, Keith Jackson's one of the guys that you would love to slide tackle with a pair of ice hockey skates on. Just well, I get the impression the that, that Scott Brown's quite, quite pally with him. Was it no McDonald and Keith Jackson was the the rumoured leak or something at this back in the day? I Jackson I, was like pals with a couple of players and was getting information off them. I think Jackson must be, be quite pally with Rangers the new row right enough because I think there's a mole in their dressing room now. Oh, oh, boom, boom. <laughs> Mic drop. <laughs> <laughs> right, guys. Last thing I want to who's a, who's, who's a who's a who's a of the week? My ball bag of the week. Baller. Oh, the baller. Um. Oh, sorry. Sorry. Pardon me. Um. I don't know. I don't know. The ball bag is just far more entertaining than the ball of the week. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe we'll all just stick with that in the future. But uh, anyone come to mind for yourself? Hatati continues to be absolutely on form as a baller. Yeah. I, I'm going to go a wee bit of a curveball here. I'm going to... He's going to say Aaron Roy. No, 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 no. I thought it's not even a fair <laughs> uh, I'm sure it was the Air Boys on Twitter. The Ange Postacoglu song. Has anybody heard it? Tell me you've heard it. No. I'll send you it in the group chat. I cannot get the fucking thing out my head for the last right, two Come on, get on your phone then. What, what the world How does the chorus go? Oh, I can't remember the words, mate. It's not going to get his <laughs> YouTube strict again, is it? We found an Aussie. He no. is top class. 
wonderful days feels just like the past. We're in the stands cheering for you, Glasgow Celtic, and Postecoglou. Fucking brilliant. There is a tune to it, to be fair. Uh, I certainly hope the fucking song is better than the fucking poetry. Oh, uh, mate, I can't get it out my head. <laughs> is it better than that other one that came out? I've got my eyes on you. Oh. And it's past the that was a classic, I know, to be fair. <laughs> <laughs> Aye. Um, speaking of Paul Coughlin, there was a, an interview with uh, Chris Julian. Um, I, I don't know why the guy's still getting airtime. Um, by the way, yes, yeah, that'd be another one. Berlin, Bobag of the week. Them two, them two. Uh, Chris Julian uh, was uh, interviewed when he was talking about his relationship with uh, Ange Postecoglou, and he was basically saying that he is one of the best trainers that he'd witnessed, but the man himself we just didn't click. Um, he spoke about broken promises, where he'd went up to Ange and said, will I get any game time? And Ange said, well, whenever we become champions, I'll let you play. However, that didn't materialise. And saying that, we'd never had that many games after it became mathematically impossible. I think he's been a wee bit Difficult, but I'll leave it up to you guys to hear what you what you think. Um, I don't think anybody would disagree about the reputation of Postecoglou's got in terms of he's a, an outstanding coach. But in terms of clicking with the guy, liking with the guy, is that a prerequisite for a manager? Do you have to actually like him, McGinty? Uh, no, but you probably have to respect him. And judging from what Julian was saying, I, I think he does respect him. Um, the the point I like taking from it, and I, I I took a positive from what Julian was trying to say, and that he recognised he was out for a period of time, and when he came back in, Ange didn't stand around waiting for him. He put in motion what he was already doing, and he was way down the line, and Julian just never was getting back up to that point. Even once he was fully fit, you had Starfelt and Carter Vickers in top form. He was never getting a look in. He recognised that himself by the sounds of it. And and as we know, and it's a great trait, is not going to just drop stuff for sentimental values and shoehorn people in just for the sake of it. He's going to put the best team out that he can and win every game that he possibly can. It's a shame for Julian because generally I think he's a quality player. He's not the best defender we've ever had. In fact, Carter Vickers, head and shoulders above him. Is he better than Julian? Possibly. But the partnership they built up, he was never going to get straight back into it. It was best for both that he moved on at the end of the day. And I think he I think he showed enough respect to acknowledge that it was he because he was poor that he didn't get back in. It's because the team just went way far and far far forward that Julian was just never getting another look back in, and that's just the way football was. Mm-hmm. Uh Paddy, perhaps I'm a, I'm being a wee bit harsh on Julian here. Uh what was your impressions of the comments? There was obviously a wee bit of insight into it, which I was quite happy to see. Obviously, it was only one sided, but I think obviously as McGinty was alluding to there, the guy was out for nearly two years. Um, I think by the time that he returned to action, I think he was 29 going 30. So, you know, when you're out for that long at that age, it's it can be hard to to to, to come back. To the same level as a player, but by the time that Julian had come back into the squad, Costa Copley's trying to put in this intense, you know, uh, 
kind of club uh, pitch ethos, uh, pitch uh, team ethos where you don't stop. So for a guy that's been out two years and starting to rehabilitate himself, it was always going to be him trying to play catch up. And by all accounts, the games that he played in the reserve games, you know, he just was not up to speed. Um, I know he's, he played what I think. Who did they play against? They played one game when he came back, and right. even then you could see that he just wasn't quite the same. So the managers obviously decided, look, I can't play you, right? Because we started a new, started afresh. We've got a new, a new approach to the way that we're going to play. It's fast. It's furious. It's intense. You're just no up for it. It's as simple as that. You're probably going to need to go. Um, fair enough. If if Julian's chat the door. And he's asked the question apostolically because that's what players should be. They got a problem going to see the manager. Fair dues, whatever happens behind the door, that's up to you. I think you could look at it a wee bit, you know, maybe sour grapes, you know, when he's when he's making the comments about another kind of so AI and then there's been broken promises. But at the same time, you know, if Postacoglu says, I'll give you a chance if you prove your fitness, if you get the forum. And then if the managers turned around and decided that, by the way, I don't think you're fit enough, I don't think you're anywhere near the form, I can't play. So it's obviously been a clash of, clash of opinions, to say, that, to, 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 to say it nicely. Um, but the outcome was probably the thing that we all knew was coming. Julian was going to leave, that was going to be the end of his tenure. It wasn't the same player that had been scoring against this and that. £7 million in the door. So... If that's the way he wants to go, if he wants to make any kind of further comments that could lead to a negative road, then leave him be. He'll be a ball bag. If no, that's it. Done and dusted. Good to hear what you had to say. I'd love to hear what Ange got to say in the matter, but it is what it is. Aye, aye. Um, I think one thing is understanding that the guy is a great tactician, a great coach. Um, I don't think you need to like your coach. You should always respect him. Um, and you should always be wanting to, to bust a gut to run through a brick wall for him. Uh, that's your job. And you, as long as you buy into his philosophy, then you should be doing that. Understand, players become disenfranchised whenever they don't get games. But is that that tune? It is indeed. Sounds a belter. <laughs> um, to McGinty <laughs> is wearing athletic Bilbao top, presumably from about, ah, I'm going to say 1999, because Juve had a similar top to that same template. Uh, 98, 99 uh, season, yeah. That was a really good guess, especially when he actually <laughs> told you before why it was for 1999. Oh, I didn't notice. <laughs> <laughs> Danny knows, Danny knows. Right, guys, we've been through blah, blah, blah. Uh, I guess we'll wrap it up for this evening, unless there's anything that you guys want to bring up. Can I just ask a wee, just we kind of half-touched on it, uh, talking about the uh, the Celtic head behind the goals and that. Do you reckon, I know it was floated at the AGM and things like that, about increasing the stadium capacity because the... Waiting list is, as I say, it's 20,000, 25,000. Do you reckon that'll ever come to be? What, the Christmas Stadium? Aye, capacity. No, no. I think they're. I reckon if they were. It could be a, a, a medium to long term consideration. Mm-hmm. Was that their, their corporate answer to that question? Yeah. 
I think they kind of skirted around it. I don't think personally it'll ever happen, but it's just with the the waiting list being there. Um, I think the talk was to increase the the capacity of the main stand. Uh, again, I don't know how kind of easy that would be. I'm sure that the the front the kind of facing of the building's a listed building in it. So, 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 how... so, so in all fairness, mate, they did actually come out and, and make a statement about it, and I think I can't remember the exact figure, but say it was. It would cost them fifteen million to upgrade it. You would have to, obviously, I, the one the ones that sit in the main stand would either have to relocate or wouldn't be able to attend, and it would take far too much time. Um, see, see, just on that note, I, I, sorry for kind of barging in and taking over, but see, the only thing I would love to see Celtic Park uh, happen at Celtic Park would do. See the stanchions that go all the way around the stadium, the scaffolding poles, as some call them, for fuck's sake, paint them white. <laughs> Give them a clean-up and paint them fucking white, man. It looks horrendous. See, if you, uh, somebody somebody photoshopped it a few months ago, and I think it was somewhere there was a bit of discussion about how do you kind of upgrade. In fact, tell you what, it was at the start of the season, see when they changed the banners, when they changed the banners around the stadium, the outside of the stadium, they changed it for the, uh, or the club legends, and then they just changed it to a generic kind of couple of shapes and Carl McGregor. Somebody actually photoshopped the stadium, right? And they painted this well Microsoft paint or whatever the fuck they call it. And painted the stanchions all white. And I'm telling you, the the place looked absolutely immaculate. I don't see why they can't do it because Old Trafford there, they fucking mutations along the road and govern there. Do you know what I mean? It's not as if it's going to it's 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 not as if it's impossible to do. The fucking things have been there since nineteen ninety eight. They're fucking rusty. Give them a bit of fucking brasso on them and get them painted. Is that your volunteer? Uh, they, they, they could definitely spruce it up a bit more um, in the short term. Long term, I don't think they'll bother we expanded the stadium unless that 20, 25,000 waiting list was to continue to grow for, mm-hmm. for a decade plus and prove that there's the, 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 the selling point there. But with our club, it's as James says, you know, it's too often that that can just disappear. That waiting list where the bad times hit, people don't want to show up. So we we need the board to constantly back the club and the fans, as we're seeing in the last uh, uh, financial results at the end of December. If the club keep backing the board and the manager that we have, we'll keep putting our money into the club. And in turn, that will generate more income, more revenue, bigger waiting list, and they can then, in due course, actually, you know, approve an expansion and actually have some merit behind it. But if they're going to keep turning around every three, four years and give us fucking shite again, then they're, they're not going to do it. I, as I, everything else that would come with it as well. Uh, obviously, if you're increasing it by 20, 25,000, you'd need to think about things like parking and obviously build buses and things like that. And I'm sure he's have heard me moan about in the group chat that Emirates coach Parkman was fucking a riot enough as it is mm-hmm. without adding another X amount of thousand buses in. So, no, nah, I, I don't think at the time I was just curious. I think I'd love to know. I'd love to know what happened to the hotel. Sorry, guys. Love to know what happened to the proposed hotel, the, the museum as well. Do you know what I mean? That because that seems to have kind of died down low. But the, mind the ticket office, the old ticket office when it used to be behind the school, and mm-hmm. then. Obviously, they've moved it down to the week in a like, porter cabins. Yeah, I remember. Obviously, it was a few years ago now, but they had the plans up for the the hotel in the ticket office, and that ticket office was only ever meant to be a temporary 
like a temporary building for it. Why well, um, I the one that's here now? Aye, but that as you say, somebody's kind of pissed on that bonfire. It's just no been mentioned in years. Last I heard of it, and you're going back a couple of years, was that there was it wasn't even beyond the planning stage or the proposal stage or some shit. Like we knew we wanted to do it, but you have to put this into the console to get them to approve shit and whatnot. I'm sure it'll right. still go through all that shite. And that you would think would be done by noon. Aye, that shit. Um, you think I'd be done by noon, something would be happening, but it has all the feelings and hallmarks of our, our floating casino pitches and shit like that. That one of these kind of, we said something good because we needed to tell ourselves something good at the time. Right. Because they meant they had artist impressions as well, and it was on the corner, and it obviously uh, class, but. Uh, it was a weird kind of, was it not like a stepped? Fucking ah, hotel it, was, thing. It, was, it, was, it was almost like a mini Lennox town in kind of some respects, wasn't it? But you would think that, you know, the, the kind of renovation, or well, I'll say renovation, the, the way that they've kind of revamped and introduced the Celtic way, you know what I mean? That's absolutely, see when you're stood outside Celtic Park on the main road and you look up the Celtic way, right. it's beautiful, it's absolutely incredible. You've got Billy McNeil overlooking everything. You've got the light zone as well when it gets darker. It's just fucking lovely. It would just be so much better if we had these things in place and and just spruced up the stadium, paint the fucking paint the fucking steel, get a museum up, stick up a hotel. I know that sounds great. I need more. I'll just do that. But <laughs> but we can do it. We can do it. And then um, sorry, I've just went on a wee bit of a fucking tangent. I know McGinty's away there. Uh, so just for all the guys watching. Um, before Gav comes in and does his kind of outro and that. Um, again, love the fact that he's still on watching, subscribing. <laughs> Aye, that's, I'm still that's here. You get. The truffle shuffle off, I get it. That dancing. <laughs> Aye, again, people um, that are constantly on, commenting, sharing the page, chatting away, liking, subscribing, all the people on Spotify as well. Big massive thanks to them as well. A um, couple of months ago, we had our first kind of milestone in terms of viewers. Uh, we've got past that 1,000 subscribers mark. And I think it was the, the last podcast, actually, that you guys did. It was the, the Aberdeen game, the post-match. I, I remember that. I post-match. So that sent us over the 100,000 views threshold. So maybe not much to some, but it's a good wee personal thing for us. So. Everybody that's been there along the way, thank you very much. So, when are we doing the Manscape adverts? Surely all roads lead <laughs> to the Manscape adverts. Fucking soon, mate, because my, my, my last ball razor's fucking conked it. Well, I was going to say, we've all had a haircut, so we're just waiting in McGinty, uh, giving that the green light, aren't we? <laughs> all right, well, uh, let, let's get on board. I'll use it next week. We'll come back with a fresh cut here and a fresh cut there. <laughs> uh. Uh, that would, way, that would be a good on this day, wouldn't it? In 20 years' time, and on this day, they're getting to shave these pubes live on. <laughs> charity. Love we'll charity. Oh, for fuck's sake, that's the last thing you need. Yeah, it was that big. Right. That anyway, boys. anyway, anyway, uh, I guess we'll wrap it up for this evening and let everyone watch the Champions League if they care to. Um, but I thanks very, very much for tuning in. We will do a post-match after the uh, the cup final on Sunday. Hopefully, we will be smiling. 
Hopefully we'll be smiling. McGinty, you said 3-1. James, you said 2-1. Paddy, you said 2-1. And I said 3-0. Will we be feeling as optimistic on Sunday morning? Who knows? But we'll be back on Sunday afternoon to do the post-match. And fuck, man. Goodbye, Kurt. Goodbye. Cheerio. Good night. Hey, hello, lads.